Hey, welcome to the Project Church Podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Project Church, so good to see you guys. Uh, I want to do something old school this morning. Is that cool with you? Uh, I grew up in the church, and we used to do something. Uh, We would stand in honor of the reading of God's word. So would you stand with me while I read from God's word? Taking us back. I'm going to read right now from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And and before I read it, I just want to give you some context Uh, So what has just happened is Jesus has ascended to heaven and they're left behind those those believers, those that followed him as disciples. And there were a a large group of them and they waited. He said, wait. And they waited in an upper room and it says that the Holy Spirit fell upon them and there was tongues of fire over their head. They all spoke in tongues that they didn't know. Uh, They didn't know the language. And all the people who were from all over, as they left the room and went out into the community in the marketplace there they heard them praising God in their languages and they knew how could they know my language since they're from this region and so Peter got up so this is right after the day of Pentecost he gets up and he preaches the first message in the history of the church and 3,000 people are saved that day this is a move of God and I I felt like as we have this grand opening and we're calling this homecoming We're launching this series, as you just saw, called The Rising Church, that God wants to see a church that looks like it was supposed to look like. And 2,000 years ago, he gave us a framework for this is how the church is supposed to operate, but I think that we've lost it along the journey. Over the years, and even more recently, like, who are we supposed to be? I think a lot of Christians come into church on Sundays, they don't even know what it means to be a Christian anymore. We don't even know what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And I think it's more simple than we make it. And so I want to read the simplicity of what the early church did. And I believe the rising church that God wants to have here at Project Church is meant to be and do. So verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. This is what the early church was and did. And I believe today we want to get back to what the church was meant to be. 
And it's simple. And sometimes we make it so complicated, don't we? We make our walk with God so complicated. And and I think today God just wanted to bring us back to the basics. And say, if you just get back to the basics of my word, you're going to see a move of God like you've never seen in your church and in your city. If you believe that with me, would you lift your hands in this place right now? Jesus, we're believing for a move of God. We're believing for a rising church to emerge in downtown Sacramento, old Sacramento, to influence from here and out to our communities, our relationships. God, we love you. We ask you to meet us here today in this place. In your name, amen, amen. You can be seated this morning in this place. Thank you for being here, church. Grand opening, homecoming. Today, we're kicking off this series called The Rising Church, and uh, I was thinking about, man, just how idealistic we can be in life. Do we have any idealists in the room? My wife is the ultimate idealist. Uh, You know, she has this perspective, and she thinks this is how it's going to look and be, and she believes for it. I love idealists. You know, I'm not one. I'm a realist. Where are my realists at? Nobody raised their hand as an I- idealist. We've got a lot of realists in the room. So I'm a realist. And, uh, and so I was singing about it back to, uh, to college. So I've, I've talked a little about my college days. I played basketball in college, a small Christian school in Missouri. And I got to college in my first year. You know, I was thinking, you know, college basketball, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to love every minute of it. And I got to Missouri And my first year of college basketball, literally, I'm not even kidding you, like, to me, it felt like hell. And I'm just being real with you. I wanted to quit every day. I would watch the clock ticking down in my classes, praying that practice wouldn't come because my coach pretty much hated us, and he just made us run. We didn't even practice basketball. We just ran. He was like, you guys are trash anyway, so at least you're going to be trash but in good shape and uh and so that was my whole first year experience and I had this idealistic you know perspective on what basketball was going to be in college and it did not meet it my first year was horrible horrific then my second year you know some of us have been together a little longer now and suddenly it was like things started to click and while the first year we were trash and we lost a bunch um the second year we actually started winning a lot And I was like, okay, this feels good, but my coach still hated us, and we still hated each other, and we were always fighting. Like, every practice, someone would get punched in the face. Uh, You know, it was literally like like just the idealism I had was still gone, even though we were winning. But that year, somehow, amidst adversity, we won a national championship. So I got a ring. Just didn't wear it this morning because I don't don't like to brag. But... uh, (laughs) So my third year comes, my junior year, and I'm like, okay, things have gotten a little better. That means this year's going to be even better. Now we've been together quite a, quite a bit. And once again, we were winning, but my coach still hated us. We still hated each other. We fought all the time. Multiple guys got kicked off the team. Um, it was just constant tension, like frustration. And a lot of it was relational. And we get to the the regional playoff, which you have to win the region to get to the national tournament. And we're playing a team we had already beat three times that year or twice that year. And we're in the regional championship and we're losing the entire game. 
And thankfully, uh, your boy didn't miss a shot the whole game. And, uh, and we pulled it out with a buzzer beater to win it and go to the national tournament where we won a second championship in a row. So I got two rings. So then I go into my senior year, and I'm thinking, okay, now the idealistic idea I had, it's finally going to come to pass. And I'm not going to lie, it happened. The whole year, no problems. We couldn't lose. We didn't lose the one Christian school all year. We lost to a couple like NCAA Division II schools, but we were supposed to lose to them. Uh, you know, they're all scholarship. We're Bible college students. And we lost like five games that whole season. We were like 34 and five or something. We're ranked number one in the nation the whole year. We literally walked through the regional tournament. We beat every team by 35 to 40. We get to the national tournament. It's three games. The first two games we win, the first game by 30 some, the second game by 20. So we're going into the national championship game. Our coach had loved us all year. There was no fighting. I mean, it was the idealistic perspective that I thought uh, college basketball would be had finally come to fruition. And we get to the national championship game against a team we had already beat twice that season, and we lost by two points. Or I'd have three rings. <laughs> but I don't. But I was thinking about that because so often we have this idealistic idea of church. And we get to church, and some of you grew up in church, and so you have some church, you know, pain and dysfunction and background and baggage. And the reality is we all are messed up people, including me. We all came in here with some baggage, some hurt from our past, some pain in our lives, and we bring all that into the church, but we have this idealistic view that church is supposed to be perfect, and there's not supposed to be any problems, and we're supposed to just get along, and we just walk around and laugh, and we have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, and, and everything's amazing, and, and, and every time we turn our head, there's another miracle, and nobody ever gets sick, and no one has problems, and marriages are always perfect, but how many know the church is never like that? The church is always messy. There's always challenges. There's always problems. There's always baggage. There's always adversity and struggles and pains. And there's marriages even in this room right now that are hurting and people need healing. And yet, today I felt like the Lord was calling us to look at this idea of the rising church and this idea of community and say, you know what? It's messy and it's imperfect and there's a lot of junk and it gets crunchy at times, but we will fight for community no matter what. We will fight for unity no matter what. The rising church is about being the church Becoming the church that looks the way God intended for the church to look. But the thing about it is, it's never going to be perfect because we are imperfect. So I want to look back at this first verse, and I'm just going to focus on verse 42 today. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, I looked up this word fellowship 
and it's the Greek word koinonia. And the definition of koinonia is this, fellowship, joint participation, the share which one has in anything. Now watch this. It identifies the idealized state of fellowship and unity that should exist within the Christian church. The idealized state of fellowship and unity that should exist within the Christian church. Here's the problem with that definition is that when we focus on the idealized state, we're really looking for a perfect state. What we're really looking for is a perfect church. And I want to tell you, there are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people. But here's what I believe the idealized state and what that definition really should be. The idealized state is that we have fellowship and unity because we fight for it, not because it's easy. We have fellowship and unity and community because we work at it and fight for it even when it's uncomfortable and crunchy and hard and painful at times. We are going to the ship. That's the title of my message today. Going to the ship. Everybody say, going to the ship. We going to the ship. I'm talking about the fellowship. The koinonia. The fellowship. That's what we're talking about today. We going to the ship. Listen, the point of the fellowship is community. And the point of community is unity. The church is the only place where real unity can be found. Do you hear me? The world offers a counterfeit version of unity, but the church offers a real unity through Jesus. Here's what happens. The world says, oh, we love unity. We fight for unity. But unity is also, or it always comes with conditions attached to it. Like, we're unified as long as you think like me, believe like me, have the same perspective as me, right? That's the world's definition of unity. But the church says, listen, we're going to be different. We're going to have different perspectives. We're not going to see everything the same way. We're not going to have the same political ideology. But we are one, and I am unified with you, because at the center of our lives is Jesus. He is at the center of this church. And so hear me. The world's version of unity is counterfeit. And it's conditional. And it never lasts. Because let me tell you, you will never all see things the same. Because you've all come from different backgrounds and places. You have different hurts and baggage. You'll never see it the same. It's the same way in the church. You're never going to see everything the same. But when Jesus is at the center, there is unity no matter the differing perspectives in the room. The church is the only place where true unity resides it's the only place and so that's why we are fighting for it that's why we are committing to it so i i I just want to just look at this verse verse number 42 today you see the early church was radically committed to four things first they were committed to biblical teaching Second, they were committed to participation. Third, they were committed to relationships. And fourth, they were committed to prayer. That was what the early church did. It was really simple. 
And I think that we've made following Jesus and discipleship and being the church so complicated. It says that they did those four things, and then guess what followed them? Signs, wonders, miracles. Not because they they had some amazing, uh, you know, signs and wonders class that they walked through for 12 weeks. They had signs and wonders follow them because they were committed to the things that Jesus told them to be committed to. They were committed to each other. They were committed to the word of God. They were committed to participating, and they were committed to prayer. And when you commit yourself to the foundational things that the church is meant to be committed to, guess what's going to happen? Signs and wonders will follow you. Guess what else is going to happen? If you saw when I was reading it earlier in this text, it went on. It says, they had favor with all people everywhere they went. Can you imagine a church that has favor with all people everywhere they go? I can. And you want to know how we get there? We commit ourselves to these things. First, we commit ourselves to biblical teaching. Why do we need to commit ourselves to biblical teaching? Why do you think on Sunday mornings, the, the, the main focus of this morning is this. And, and this time, this 30 minutes where we dig into the word of God. Why are we so committed to that? Because the word of God gives us direction. And this world is directionless. Their compass is broken. And so they follow whatever wave or wind of doctrine or perspective or belief or popular opinion. They just follow it and let the wind take them where the wind takes them. And, oh, that's the popular thing. I'm going to follow that. Oh, that's the new popular thing. And, And some of you are Christians. You do this too. Because we don't let this dictate our direction. When we're committed to biblical teaching, we don't follow whatever is popular opinion or whatever culture says we should believe. No, we stand true or firm on the truth of the word of God. It is our direction. We're committed to biblical teaching. Listen, Christy and I, like, yeah, we set the vision for this church, but it is always rooted in the word. And her and I have never said, oh, let's just come up with some cool, you know, idea for where to take our church. No, we're in the word and we're saying, God, where do you want us to go? Show us from your word. This is what drives the vision of this church. We're committed to biblical teaching. Why? Because it gives us checks and balances. When we do get a little, you know, out of pocket as followers of Christ, which we will. When we do get a little out there in our perspectives, we come back to this and say, does that align with the word of God? And if it doesn't, then we can say, I need correction in my life. I need to allow the word of God to correct me. We love to correct each other. But what if we said, no, let's let the word correct us. Let's let the word of God dictate and direct us. Second, they were committed to participation. They participated in what God was doing. It says that they, they gave, they were generous, they shared all as any had need. They contributed to one another. We need a church of contributors in a culture of consumers. And, and listen, I'm a consumer. Y'all know because you see my clothes. You're like, Caleb always has new shoes. I know, I'm a consumer. I can't help it. I get pulled in the Instagram ads, get me every time. They know me. They're listening to my conversations. Stop it. And they throw these ads, and I got pulled up. Why? Because I'm a consumer. I've literally, my brain has been orientated to consume. 
Your brain has been. You know how many advertisements you see every single day? Thousands, hundreds. And then we come into the church and we bring in that same consumer perspective into the church. And we say, oh, I just, I need to be fed. I want to receive. I need more. I'm hungry. Listen, the church was meant to be a place of participation, of contribution, where you show up not to receive, but also to give. We give our money. We give our time. We give our talents. We give our energy. We give our our heart. We give our love. We give our joy. You know when you come in here and you bring joy into the room? You spread joy in the room. When you come in here, and I know it's hard some mornings, especially when you fought on your, you know, on the way with your wife because she was, because you guys were late. Some of you came in this morning late and you were mad walking in. You didn't talk to each other the whole ride in, the whole walk in. It it happens. I've been there. My best marital advice, I've told people, separate cars. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Christy and I actually came together. We left on time. Way to go, babe. We did it. Doesn't always happen. But listen, we meet the needs of others. Just like you're directionless, if you don't follow the word of God, you're dead weight in the church if you're not contributing to what God is calling you to contribute to. The church needs contributors. The rising church is a place of those that contribute. And there's so many ways you contribute. That's what's so incredible. You can contribute on so many levels and so many facets. Because some of you came here, you're like, I don't have a lot of money. I'm struggling right now. My bank account's empty. I lost my job. Guess what? There's so many other ways you can contribute. God's given you talent, time. He's given you treasure, and he wants us to be contributors, participators in the call that God has on our life. There's a commitment to relationships. That was the third thing. It says here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The third thing that's said there is the breaking of bread. And some of you are like, okay, so like they ate together. Like, that doesn't really seem like relational. Yes, that's what it was. You see, in this culture, it wasn't like ours where we hang out together over like hobbies and activities. Like some of you love to go hiking. You play like on a kickball team. I don't know. That's what people are doing these days. Uh, You know, you got your basketball crew, your golf crew. Uh, Ladies go, you know, you brunch it up or whatever. In, In this day, in this day, they worked hard all day long like physically, physical labor. They were exhausted. They walked everywhere. And so at the end of the day, they would come to a home, and it was most days, come to a home, and they would have a meal. And I'm talking about three, four-hour meal where they would lounge around, eat, talk, take their time, build relationships. And this has really become foreign for us in our culture because we like our privacy. Some of you love that you can come in here on a Sunday morning and leave and nope, you need to talk to one person. You're like, oh, that was amazing. (laughs) What a Sunday. Didn't have to talk to one person. Somebody smiled at me and that was enough for me. (laughs) Listen, the enemy's goal is isolation. Because he knows if he can isolate you and get you alone, then you're vulnerable. How many know a three-strand cord is not easily broken, the word tells us. We were meant to do life together relationships build unity. You hear me, church? Relationships build unity because disconnection leads to disunity. And what happens is in the church, and, and, and the church for, I would say, the last few decades, we've been, been becoming more and more disconnected to one another, 
And as a result, there is more and more disunity in the body. Now listen, having unity in relationships is hard. And I, I was thinking about it because we have a saying in the church where we go, oh, man, it's about a relationship over religion. You guys said this, right? Relationship over religion. And I've said that, and I'm like, yeah, that's good. That'll preach. Relationship, me and Jesus. Let's be real. I, I'm just going to be 100, keep it 100 with you. Religion is easier than relationships. Because with religion, I just follow a list of do's and don'ts. I check off my boxes. It's just me, myself, and I, and then I'm good. But relationships with Jesus is hard because sometimes he'll ask me to do things I don't want to do. Relationships is hard because he's saying, no, I want you to build relationships with others. And when you're with others and they think different than you and have different perspectives than you, and even some different theological ideas than you, guess what happens? There becomes some disagreements and friction. And what is natural for us is we go, you don't agree with me, so I'm going to push you away. But in the church, we get down in the mess and the junk and the gunk and the crunchiness and we go, let's hash it out. Let's talk about it. And we build those relationships. We work on those relationships. You see, a true relationship with Jesus, too, is one where you say, Jesus, you take the wheel. I'm following what you want. But American Christianity, we say, oh, it's about relationship. And what we mean is, Jesus, I'm in charge, and we're going to go where I say. Like, but, but you can ride shotgun, Jesus, right here. Like, you're, you're, you're my co-pilot. But I got the wheel. But what Jesus is saying and what the, the word is challenging us to is that we would say, no, Jesus, you lead the way. You guide my life. You take the wheel. And that means I got to build relationships with others, and that's hard. But we're committed to. If we're getting on the ship, we're committed to relationships as well. The fellowship is about relationship. The koinonia is about relationship. And finally, prayer. What does he say last? He says, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We focus our hearts on what matters most when we pray together. When the church of Jesus Christ is praying, is passionate about prayer, we focus ourselves on what matters. Prayer is our power. That's one of the core values of this church. And I want to tell you, a, a, a follower of Christ without prayer is a disempowered follower of Christ. And I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Prayer is hard for me. Because I'm like, I, I love the word of God. And I'll read it all day and I love studying and I'll take notes and I'll, and I'll prepare these messages. And then I'll show up on Sunday and, and there's been weeks in the past where I've showed up and I'm like, dang, I, I barely even prayed about this. But I was in the word. And God's like, you have no power. This week, God was convicting me. He said, you want to see a rising church. You're calling the people to radical commitment to these four things. Is prayer a priority in your life, Caleb? And I had to say, no, it's often a last resort instead of my first response. I've seen God at times like many of you as this genie in a bottle. And when I need him, I call on him. When I'm going through the worst thing in my life, that's when I cry out to him. 
when I, when I need an ATM machine, you know, withdrawal, say, God, help me out. Some of you all showed up at CVS before and scanned that card. You just pray, God, just let it be approved in Jesus' name. You don't even know. I've been there too. We pray when we need it. But there has to be a radical commitment to prayer. So I was thinking about the ship, and I was like, you know, I need to bring a ship in the room. What do you guys think? We got a ship because I believe in a radical commitment to the fellowship. And so we thought, why not get the biggest ship we could get? And, and I'm going to need some help. So, so how many guys we got here? We got three of you. Here we go. Why don't uh, uh, Derek stay up here with me? You take one of these. You guys want to help us out too? Here, here, grab one. Nick, you want to stay? Okay, here we go. Here we go. Or Ryan, I mean. So, hey, why don't you guys uh, jump in the ship? One of you here in the front, back. I'll go, yeah, I'll go front left. Derek, you go front right, right here. Yeah, sit on the edge. There we go. Oh, he's posing. How'd I know you would do something like that? So here's what I think. I think that the four things that we're being called to, the fellowship, are represented by the four oars. Right? We need biblical teaching to guide us. And, and the biblical teaching actually sets the pace, the cadence. So you guys got to follow my cadence, right? So stroke, 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 right? The biblical teaching sets the cadence. It sets the direction. That's what, that's what we need. But then we need participation. That's this or that, that, that's being held here is this idea of participation that, that as we are led by the word of God, we also have a participator, then we got relationships behind me. Ryan's back there. He's doing relationships. Come on, Ryan. Get that relationship cadence going. We got community back there in the back. Josue. Josue's got the community. You see, here's what happens. Stop. Sometimes we can actually idolize the word of God. And so there's a lot of churches, and, and you guys don't row. Let me just row. There's a lot of churches that just get like this. They're all about that biblical teaching. But what happens is when you just got one part working, the Bible says that, that knowledge puffs up. And before you know it, you got a, a boat going in circles. And the boat's going in circles, and it's a prideful boat, and it thinks it's got it locked down, but really it's just spinning its wheels. Why? Because it's idol, idolized the word of God. You see, we don't worship the word. We worship the, who is the word, who is Jesus. Or sometimes we got churches that they get all about the participation. So they start going. They're participate, participating. But there's no community. And when there's no community, so, hey, we're showing up. And maybe we even like the word of God. We're showing up and we like the word of God. But, but there's no participate or there's no community and so we're showing up every Sunday and we're serving but we all hate each other and we're like I'm at church and I'm hearing the word 
and I'm serving, and I'm giving, but man, these people are stupid. I can't stand none of these folks. Like, I can't wait to go home, right? And then we got, in the back, we got community. So sometimes community gets going, but without the Word of God guiding it, setting the pace, keeping the direction, community and relationships can actually get toxic really quick. But here's what happens. You know where the power comes from. The power comes from prayer back in the back. And so we need prayer bringing up the rear. All together. Come on. Stroke. 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 This is what the fellowship looks like. So when I say we go into the ship, I mean we need all four things in the local church, in Project Church, to build the rising church, to be the church and the ship that God is looking for. But let me tell you something. This boat, we're not building a cruise ship. As I said, we go into the ship. We're not building a cruise ship. We're building a battleship. You see, our weapons are weapons of warfare because we're in a battle. These guys know it. We're in a battle. And let me tell you, we need every part of the body stepping up getting in the ship, jumping all in, ready to serve, build, go. But how many know our weapons? They're not the same as the weapons of this world. Because the weapons of the world were meant to wound and damage and destroy. But the weapons of our warfare were weapons meant to heal and bring hope and restoration and healing and point all people to Jesus. Give it up for these guys. Come on now. Would you all bow your heads across this room? I want to ask right now. I believe there's someone in this room that doesn't know Jesus, that hasn't responded to Jesus in salvation. And you're saying, Caleb, today... I need to surrender my heart, my life to Jesus Christ for the first time. I need to surrender my life to the Savior of the world. You've been running from God. You've turned your back on God. You've fought, fought, you know, the things that God was speaking into you. But today, you know you need to surrender for the first time. You need to recommit yourself. I'm going to count to three. If that's you, you need Jesus in this place. I want you to lift your hand. One, two, Three. Go ahead. Put your hand up. Yes. 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 Come on, church. Give God some praise. You can put your hands down. I need everybody right now to pray this prayer with me. Say it with me. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for coming so that I could have life and life to the fullest. Today, I confess my sin, and I ask you to come into my life and to change me from the inside out. I'm yours, Jesus, fully, wholeheartedly. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise. Would you stand to your feet, church? We're going to sing this as a declaration that we're all in, in the fellowship of God. We're all in in the community of God. We're all in to be the church that God has called us to be. Come on, would you lift your voices with me, church? 
Let this be our declaration. We're on your team, Jesus. Come on. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.